Hello, my name is Julia Steyer, a contributor to Stage Raw, and welcome to Stages of Our City. Stage Raw is a Los Angeles-based theater discussion website that seeks to discover hidden theatrical gems and companies in the unexpected corners of our region. Join us for a conversation among Stage Raw critics about what they've seen in the area and sometimes beyond. From small black box theaters to large commercial venues, the critics of Stage Raw make it their mission to witness the wide range of stories that our theater makers are telling. Please welcome our moderator, founding editor, Stephen Lee Morris. This is Stages of Our City. Terry Morgan and Inger Tudor, welcome to Stages of Our City. We have a couple of shows. This show is going to be conversations because both of you and, and yours truly have seen many of the, th- at least two of the three plays that we'll be talking today. That is Mama, Mama, Can't You See? That's Coins and Ghost Company at the Other Space of the uh, Actors Company. That plays through May 29th. We'll also be talking about uh, Tambo and Bones. This is at the Kirk Douglas Theater through May 29th. And finally, we'll be talking about King Lear. That's John Gould Rubin's staging of the Shakespeare's classic at the Wallace Center for the Performing Arts. That plays through June 5th. Let's start with Mama, Mama, Can't You See? Ingrid, introduce us to this new work. Okay, so this is a new work, the premise of which is that one of the co-writers, Stan Mayer, is exploring an experience he had in Iraq where he was in his Humvee. They were hit by an IED from a suicide bomber. Mm. It killed his friend immediately. He was knocked out, and when he came to, they were in the middle of a firefight. So it deals primarily with him, but with the other three people that he was with. But that is juxtaposed with four sex workers from the Civil War. And they, these four entities meet in this space that's supposed to be between life and death. And they examine this moment. But I believe the idea of the sex workers in there are one to have female roles in this as well, but also the idea that there is an element of caretaking and how do you deal with men who have been in war? How do you help them emotionally? How do you deal with them, et cetera? So that being said, that's sort of a synopsis. I'd be very curious, Terry, to find out what you think. I I enjoyed the elements that really dealt with that moment that happened to him in Iraq. I really enjoyed. I don't know that I felt like the sex workers were necessary. I, they didn't add anything for me. I agree with you. I, I felt like the writing is interesting. I thought there's all sorts of interesting moments in the writing, uh, but it did feel sort of amorphous in terms of general theme. But yeah, the, the inclusion of the, the Civil War sex workers, it's like you say, I feel like it was, they sort of shoehorned it in because they felt like they needed some sort of feminine presence in the play. And the actresses are all good. All, yes. all the yes. cast I thought were actually quite good. Yes. But I felt like the, the play was better in various moments and scenes than as a whole, you know? And I did feel like the Civil War thing, I didn't mind it because it did allow, you know, the presence of all the actresses and that was, that was better. But I did feel like it was a very tenuous connection. Yes, yes. You know? 
I, I would agree with that. I mean, and I agree with you. And I, I left out, Stephen, that it's it's sort of surrealistic in many ways. So there is a choreographed movement and there is some um, singing really beautiful, um, very dark songs that add mm-hmm. to the mood. And all mm-hmm. of that was done very well. But I, I agree with you, Terry. I felt like it was to allow for a feminine presence in the storytelling but I do think it, there were the moments that were better that had more to do with the incident and, and what he experienced and what, like one of the things that really stood out to me is there's a moment where he talks about the doctor in their group. He died from a concussion. I guess he got thrown back from the blast, but there were no bullet holes and no blood. And so that was like a moment that really stood out to me and things that I think a civilian doesn't think about happening in war. And especially after you've seen all these movies, like they even do a critique of all the war movies and how <laughs> they're not really accurate. But um, yeah, I think I would agree with you, Terry. I just have a question from either of you, um, and that's on the, the production team. Was it a joint civilian military, uh, vet, I should say veteran producers? Is that what's going yes. on? Yes. Yeah, that's what it yes, sounds it, like. Yes, it, it is. There, uh, I, I read today that there are five people associated with uh, the cast and crew who have served in various branches of the military. And one of them mm-hmm. is the person who co-wrote the show. Yes. Uh, it's co-written by uh, Cecilia Fairchild and Stan Mayer, who is an ex-Marine. And it's basically, mm-hmm. from what I understand, mainly based on his experiences. And he's kind of the lead. I mean, it is an ensemble. But uh, I did enjoy the specificity of a lot of the, the writing. I thought there, that yes. made the play more effective. I thought Stan Mayer was actually quite good as yes. a performer. He really reminded me of both looks and presence of like Michael Shannon for some reason, which is actually kind of a compliment, but he really struck me that way. But he was really quite strong. I thought he was able to project both uh, vulnerability as well as, uh, as, as confidence. And uh, I I was, I was impressed with the acting overall. I thought the direction was quite good. The director is uh, Zach Davidson. I thought he staged it very interestingly. It's not a very big space, but he used it quite well. Uh, It's one of the few shows I can see that involves a jungle gym. But they they actually used that, I thought, reasonably well. Yes. You know, you could get tired of people just constantly crawling over the jungle gym, but but that was pretty good. So yeah, I thought it was it was well acted, well staged, and visually it has a lot, it has a certain amount of energy that I thought was good. So overall I liked it. I did feel like the Civil War thing, like you said, was a little bit mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. shoehorned in. And I did feel like maybe it didn't need to be two acts. I think it could possibly have been tightened up to maybe yes. one 90-minute show as opposed to a two-hour show with an intermission. Like 90% but, of the theater in, in Southern yeah, California. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I would recommend that people see it. I think it's definitely worth seeing. Oh, I agree. I agree. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in it for sure. This is Mama, Mama, Can't You See? Produced by Coin and Ghost Company at the other space of the actor's company in Hollywood. Tambo and Bones, this is over at the Kirk Douglas Theater. Eagle, you let us off on the last one. Terry, why don't you take us away on this? Yeah, it's uh, basically the the essential premise of it is it's a a two African-American actors come on stage and they're essentially, they find that they're in a, a minstrel show to some degree. Uh, and gradually they decide they're not really happy about this. And so they wander into the audience and basically grab the playwright and bring him on stage. And via that, they're able to kind of change their destiny. And the play goes from there to sort of them becoming big rap stars and then off into the future from there. And that's the essential premise of it. Uh, I thought it was very 
well-written. Dave Harris uh, wrote the play. I thought it was very smart and funny and surprising at moments. The director is uh, Taylor Reynolds. I thought she did a nice job with various types of uh, totally different kinds of settings. I mean, the beginning of it is like a very cheap looking set, deliberately cheap looking set. And then the next thing is a concert level lighting you know, it's like you're at a huge concert and all the lights and everything. And it's visually quite impressive. And the actors, I thought, were fantastic. W. Trey Davis and Tyler Fauntleroy. I thought they were both quite good at uh, both the humor and the anger. And also just they were very moving in various points as well, particularly the ending, I thought was quite striking. I was yes. going to ask, and maybe, maybe Inger, you can address this. As they spin from the minstrel show into the world of more contemporary music, does, is there a point of view on that in that about appropriation or about does does the playwright Dave Harris have a have a take on on that I I guess I'm asking what is the point of, of the play so it's sort of a play in three parts the first part is the minstrel story as Terry was just talking about and then spinning out of that into the second part which is them as rappers who become very successful and then the third part is set in the future presumably Mm. after a revolution and I don't want to give things away, but potentially a genocide of a particular race. I'll just leave it at that. And I I do think one of the points is that the, the Bones character seems to be much more money and prosperity oriented. The Tambo character is more of the intellectual, but Bones sort of awakens this, this desire to rise above your station and to... Um, seek, I don't want to say material goods, but just to seek to be able to be at a better level. That starts out in the minstrel section, and then it becomes very prominent in the rap section. But what you find is that Tambo is constantly struggling with, I have a platform, there's something I want to say. And Bones is constantly like, no, no, no. The way we can say something is by having the money and having the power. So you get these little moments after they sort of each do a rap duo and then they do their own sort of rap solos, they come back together. And so you have these little moments that are presumably them over the course of their rap career Mm -hmm. doing interviews where they're talking about, you know, well, now we started a streaming platform for um, (laughs) artists of color and now we own this. So they are they are building power and wealth for people yeah. of color by being able to own things. But ultimately, it ends up still being a commentary on race relations in America. And I yes. do yes. not want to spoil the final moment because I agree with you, Terry. There's it's very, very strong and very powerful end of the play that I think sort of sums up a lot of what has been happening over the last two years as well. You've nonetheless summed up the essence of it and its purpose very clearly. So thank yeah. you for without without ruining the without experience ruining for, for people who haven't seen it and want to see it. And if they can, they have to go to Culver City to the Kirk Douglas Theater Tambo and Bones is playing there through May 29th. Um, Terry, both you and I saw King Lear um, at the Wallace Center for the Performing Arts. Why don't you lead off on that? And then I will come back in and um, try to sweep up the um, d- detritus and, and the, uh, the, the the body parts that you're going to leave all over this. All over this yeah, place. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fair to say that, uh, well, here's my opening statement, which is essentially, it is the worst large theater production I've seen this century. So that's, that's where I would start. Uh, I thought the director, uh, John Gould Rubin, it's an excellent uh, 
example of somebody essentially assigning a concept to Shakespeare, regardless of whether it actually has anything to do with that particular play. And I thought in this particular case, assigning it rather ineptly. But it wasn't just that. It was also some of his... So what, okay, back up. What was the concept? What was the concept? The concept, well, one of the concepts that he was talking about, at least as in the press release, is climate change, you know, and essentially the entirety of how this production addresses climate change is they have uh, attached two sort of narrow sort of video screens on either side of the stage, which are not facing the audience. They're facing each other which means anybody who's not sitting particularly close in the audience can't really make them out very well. Because one of the other genius things they did was they decided to stage it in the round. Now, the way that the that particular theater is set up, I don't know, it's five, 600 seats or something. Mm-hmm. That's all facing the stage. And then they set some seats up like a riser behind, on the stage, behind the actors. Right. Yeah. And so... Anyway, neither I don't think either one of those places particularly could see those screens very well. And what was on those screens essentially were just generic images of, I don't know, uh, hurricanes, deserts, climate events. But they didn't have anything to do with the play. The only other thing that would show up on those screens were the director asked his actors, I'm assuming, or directed his actors to a lot of them to do their monologues to their cell phones. So they're not even facing the audience mainly. They're doing it, holding it up in the air facing and doing their monologues or whatever to their their cell phones and then projecting that gets projected onto the video screens, which means, again, you can't really see the performance very well. And I think for people who are not especially familiar with all the plot of the play, it's very confusing as to what is going on. Uh, also, occasionally they would text onto those same screens. And again, you could barely make it out. Yeah, that's so how I messages thought- were, were sent, usually through the technology. Yeah. As opposed yeah, so, to somebody. So I thought that was just that was just know. a poor idea. Because the, there are letters. The play has letters and missives that, that, that move the yeah. plot. So they they moved that on onto a tech platform. Yeah. And it's I, I thought they just used that platform poorly. <clears throat> Another thing, just theatrically, is deciding to stage the show in the round. I thought was a very bad decision because it seemed to me that they, the director asked his actors to face both sides of the audience equally, which meant that the nine-tenths of the house that's watching them is facing the backs of the actors where it seemed like about half the play. So I, mm-hmm. I couldn't quite understand why nobody would have pointed out what a terrible idea that was. I mean, to spend half the play performing to the 30 or so people on stage, you know, the audience facing there. I had That was just a very poor directorial decision that has just, that has nothing to do with the concept. And that was mm-hmm. just indicative, I thought, of, of how this thing was done. Well, I did interview uh, before the about two week, week or two week before it opened. Interview the, the director, and so I got a sense of what his intention was. I don't think anyone sets out to stage, a, you know, a bad production. No. Let's, let's just start there. It's, sure, um, it's been described as a crime scene, and, and this. I mean, it's not a crime to do theater, and it do, when it works, it's it's just a, a miracle. And when it doesn't, that's what happens ninety percent of the time. And I think we have to to keep that in mind. I think there were some miscalculations, but that's very easy to come up with in retrospect, and much more difficult when you're going in. Apparently, this was the result of conversations with the actors, with the creative team that went on for for years, back and forth, several involving, you know, the the artistic director of the Wallace and and John Gorubin and the actors. And he was very proud that it was a collaborative effort. 
Walking away in retrospect, I would say that might have been the problem. Perhaps sometimes <laughs> you need an authoritarian asshole of a director to say, no, yes, no, yes. Thank you. I hear you all. This is the direction we're going to go. So it isn't quite such a potpourri or such a blur, which, which this was. That might have been part of the problem. We're very big in the 21st century on um, saying it's, it's a collaborative form, therefore everyone has to have their voice. It's got to be inclusive and democratic. And sometimes theater, sometimes theater just doesn't work that way. And, and I think this is an illustration of it just not working that way. It is modern dress. It does focus, yes, on this theme of uh, climate change and tech. And um, to your point, Terry, I completely agree. I have no idea what the, sh the plot of Shakespeare's King Lear has to do with climate change. Rubin referred to storms, emotional storms that running through, and, and that makes sense. But honestly, now, what play written by Shakespeare or, frankly, anybody else that's a worthy play to be put on in the theater doesn't involve emotional storms? And what so, did you think of the storm scene? Um, by then, I don't know. I can. It wasn't really working for me simply because I couldn't wrap my head around the concept for, for the reasons you described. But that said, there were a couple of virtues that, that it had. The thing about the tech, I thought it was like they were trying to emulate somehow the Wooster Group and their high-tech approach to reinventing classics through tech. And I just don't, again, if you're going to talk about climate change or tech, you're really talking about executives of the fossil fuel industry and or tech corporations who are nursing profits at the expense of the social and environmental health of all of us. That is that story. I just don't know what that has to do with the plot of King Lear, which is families being busted up, two families. So there's a, I think that's the essence, I think, of the disconnect between the concept and, and the plot that you, I think you alluded to. There was something else that occurred to me actually after I'd written the play, and that is they strategically eliminated all the husbands. So they're not there. Kent is gone. Right. Um, and so you've got 26 characters being, a play with 26 characters being performed by, uh, was it seven actors? So mm -hmm. it felt like they were hopscotching through the play as though so many of the characters had just kind of called in sick. And it I was, was extremely confusing. I'm, so if you don't know the play, God help right. you. I do think, you know, I'm going back on one of my prior century sojourns, many of them to, to Russia, and I, I saw them do over there, they would do something like the Brothers Karamazov, and they would stage it. And, and that's epic. It's huge. And they would just, can't, they would strip it down to the three brothers. That's it. There are three actors on the stage, and they would just focus on the emotional dynamic. And that really kind of worked. And if you're going to retailer something, I can't imagine them staging the entire play with just the three brothers and just leaving everyone else out. I think that was an, that could have been another miscalculation on their part. Their attempt to tell the entire play, the entire I think narrative. it was definitely a miscalculation. I, I happened to talk to two people at intermission that were not as familiar with the play. In fact, it was the first time both of them had seen it. And I asked them, so do you understand what was going on with the, with the other family and the two brothers and all of these? Other? They didn't get any of it. They didn't understand any of it because half the time those all the different actors were playing different people. And there, I think the problem there was, again, the direction in that there was no obvious transition from one character to another. There were no costume changes. 
Well, that was certainly was the just, case of Cordelia, who also played yes. Lear's fool, who was in the same white dress with the same white pumps and had right. the same vocal intonation for both characters, how they were supposed to distinguish between the two characters. And that's a terribly important distinction. So, yeah, uh, I had that was just that was just a bad directorial choice, essentially. Yes. It was very confusing, I think, for everyone. Also, setting. I thought that there was never, because there wasn't really a set other than that table that was knocked oh, down and kind of moved around. It was a banquet, a couple of banquet tables that got but knocked I, over. I, yeah. I never felt like, I, I mean, I know the play pretty well, so I knew where, where we were, but I think most people watching that wouldn't have any idea if you're in the castle or if you're outside half the time. Mm. Which yeah. is a big problem with that play. For, sto for storytelling issues. Yeah, for storytelling right, exactly. issues. Um, I will have to say, I kind of enjoyed Joe Morton. I watched him kind of punch his way through it like a boxer. And he was jocular, he was animated, and when he lost his mind, I went there with him. I not that I lost my mind too, for different for different. Yeah, we reasons. didn't want we didn't want to say Stephen. <laughs> uh, but I, I found his his growing dementia and confusion to be quite persuasive. I also like Mark Hyrulik as Gloucester, one of the characters that was left intent that he showed real artistry and craft in that performance. And Emily Swallow as, as Goneril, I also liked her. She was she had a kind of feline dignity. Her, her delivery was measured and competent and clear. And I got an emotional truth. So I do want to underscore there was some good work in there, even though the totality didn't work out. And I thought strategically, one thing that was really a revelation for me at the very close of the production, you may remember this, they shut down the sound design and the music. There, were lot, there was a lot of rumbling and really quite effective music to accompany the storms. It all went quiet and they cut off all the tech effects. There were no more cell phones and they just closed the play with the actors often on different sides of this very large stage just kind of rendering the play and you heard the tale and they brought this play home. And I found that closing to be eerily beautiful. And, and I thought maybe the key to this is to get rid of this. I don't know. Maybe the, the whole idea to, to go with the Wooster group approach and the high tech thing, maybe we're just done with that at point. And if you want to talk about tech and the, if its effects on us and our lack of humanity, which I think was the attempt, uh, maybe we should try a play without tech and just to show how humanity can actually be portrayed on a stage when you just have actors and voices and, and characterization and that incredibly beautiful language and then that poetry, it's an epic poem. That may be the key. So I, I was not as hostile as you were. Um, but uh, I, I do appreciate your your anger and, and, and I appreciate how you felt it. There was so much that um, wasn't really thought through. And perhaps because it is a big production, they didn't have time to repair. Once once you're in rehearsal, that's it. So I don't, I don't actually, I don't I don't actually feel angry about it. I mean, I've, God knows, seeing as much theater as I've seen, I don't take it personally <laughs> when I've seen, you know, that they did this to me deliberately, right? That's not <laughs> it. It's just, I, I, I felt bad for the various people who were coming to this play for the first time yeah. and would think, oh, King Lear is not a very good play. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think no, that's it's true. It's true. It's true. That's, that's a disservice what... to those people. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad for the cast. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know whether, like you say, whose decision it was to do whatever they all ended up doing, whether it was the director or the cast or some combination. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I did feel like, yeah, there are a lot of very good actors in that show. You know, yeah, Joe Morton is very good. Mark Harrelick is always very good. And I've seen him in many things over the years. Emily Swallow is good. But 
yeah, I didn't think they were being done any favors. And I, I always feel bad for a cast that's just sort of abandoned on stage in the middle of some new concept, essentially. I don't know why the concept needed to be so opaque. I mean, I, don't, I can't imagine a more relevant time for this play when the American family is being busted up right now. And this King Lear is a play about two families. Internally, they're turning on each other. And that's exactly yeah. what's happened, not only in the United States, but in parts All of over. Western Europe, globally. In Eastern yes. Europe, globally. This is part of our culture. And, and perhaps that is the link with social media. If that's true, if they meant to say that, the, the production didn't deliver that point. But we are fractured as a country and as, and as a global society. And I, and I think that is what this play directly hits on. Mm. And um, how somehow you can do this play and miss that when you're going to go with a concept production is um, kind of astounding. But, yeah, uh, and the yeah. fact that it was such a high-profile production, it's their first show at the Wallace, their theatrical production in, I think, three years. Right. I just felt bad about that, too. It's mm -hmm. like, I don't want companies to trip over themselves so publicly, but I think in this particular case, unfortunately, that's what, what happened. Oh, they'll be all right. They'll come back. <laughs> they'll come I hope back. so. I hope they'll, so. Uh, I am absolutely confident that by the, uh, by the end of the season, we will be having a very different discussion about a, a different production. Uh, fingers crossed on that. Inger Tudor and Terry Morgan, thank you so much for being here. Stages of Our City is produced by Julia Steyer, and uh, we will see you. You will hear us next week. Thank you all for joining us today on this episode of Stages of Our City. To learn more about Stage Raw or the Los Angeles theater scene, visit www.stageraw.com. And be sure to support us on Patreon so that we may continue to highlight the work of theater makers here in the City of Angels. I'm Julia Steyer, and this has been Stages of Our City. Till next time! <laughs>